Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode. You may know me better as a spokesmodel for Ray-Ban sunglasses, but I also do a little tech reporting in my spare time. The tech industry is constantly changing, and it's not always clear what's going on. We want to help you understand the how and the why. On Recode Decode, we talk about where tech is going, where it's been, and how it affects everyday people. Now, every week, we do an interview called The Red Chair, where we talk to someone who's working on something interesting, much like what we do at our Recode events, where we have red chairs on stage. This week in The Red Chair, it's Chris Dixon, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, probably the most high-profile venture firm in Silicon Valley right now. Dixon himself is a prolific tweeter, blogger, and investor, and he's put money into companies like Oculus, Warby Parker, Skype, Pinterest, and Soylent. He knows a lot about Bitcoin, too, virtual reality, and other legitimately interesting things happening in tech. Let's see what he has to say about him. Welcome, Chris. All right. Thanks for having me. Any any day. You're a fascinating uh, investor compared to many of them in Silicon Valley. So let's talk about the landscape right now Mm -hmm. in investing. Can you give me sort of an overview of where you think we are? Now, you're a relatively new venture capitalist, correct? Yeah. I joined Andreessen in Horowitz about two and a half years ago. Before that, I was an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur, and uh, I had done some angel investing, some sort of personal angel investing mm-hmm. for In New York, In correct? New York. I was based in New York, but I was investing in companies all over. And uh, you'd mentioned some of them, Stripe, Kickstarter, mostly consumer-oriented companies. Yeah. And your company, what happened to your company that you started? You started several. I started two, two main companies. One was called Site Advisor. It was a, a security company, which was acquired by McAfee. It's now part, if you buy their consumer security suite, it's actually called McAfee Site Advisor now. And it basically will warn you before you go on a website that might give you malware or fraud or something like phishing, things like this. It was acquired in 2006. And then I started a company called Hunch, which was a sort of, we called it machine learning. Today we call it big data. And mm-hmm. we get a higher valuation. You were because, early. Because of, the, because of the word big data, which we got acquired by eBay. And uh, for eBay doing basically the recommendation algorithm similar to Amazon, so if you like this item, then you'll like this. So our, our former team is there. And actually, uh, as part of that, opened the eBay New York office, which has gotten pretty big now. So. Cool. So why did you want to become a VC? What was the... Well, partly process Did of Mark Andreessen just ask nicely or he, what? He, well, he's very, he's very persuasive. Um, you know, if you do what I do, which is sort of tech entrepreneurship, like there's, there's kind of two jobs that are most likely, which is either invest, sort of play or coach or something, I guess. And I just, after my last experience, it was, it was a tough experience, frankly. And, uh, what was tough about it? Um, just we, so we started off kind of consumer-oriented as the website, and just, you know, we struggled to get it. You know, consumer in particular, consumer internet, it's kind of like lightning either strikes or it doesn't. I see this now from the VC side. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the hit rate is tough. Um, right. And if you, you either get kind of lightning strikes and you get 20% month-over-month growth and you're the next big thing, your Instagram, your Facebook, your right. Snapchat – or it's tough. Um, and so that didn't really work. And so then we switched into being kind of B2B. What didn't work about it? I'm just curious, just from being an entrepreneur, what's um, the most frustrating part? I think a lot of it just, you know, getting the product right, getting the, I mean, a lot of the stuff too, it's just very like, why did Snapchat work and the 50 other send your photo? I don't know what, there's sort of variants of Snap. Just yesterday, so they announced that Frontback was this, you know, this company that was at one point kind of talked about as the next Snapchat that, that is closing down. Like there's, there's like 50 of these photo sharing apps and mm-hmm. one takes off. I, my theory, I mean, some of it, like Snapchat's a very well-designed product as an example. Um, I think a lot of it, though, is just, you know, it's the, it's the confluence of the timing, timing and the culture. I mean, I remember Kevin Systrom telling me like they happened to come out the day the iPhone 4 came out, which was the first right. HD um, iPhone. So I think he himself, I mean, clearly a brilliant product designer and brilliant entrepreneur, but also 
you know, you need sort of all these things to come together. So right. consumer, consumer, sort of the, in my mind, the highest consumer internet social is sort of the highest degree of difficulty yeah. in the startup world. And so, so we we had started off as consumer, and that it sort of you know we got some traction, but not what the VCs want, which is you know to be the breakout smash success. And so then we switched to being B two B, so selling technology to businesses. Yeah, and then and then in that process, I started talking to eBay, and then pretty quickly got to a point where, frankly, the offer they made to us would have taken us years to get back to from a valuation point of view. You know, through the business. Yeah. So So you become a VC and you move west. Uh, Yeah, I still spend a lot of time in New York, but yeah, yeah, I spend a lot of time out here too. What's been the difference moving here? What's been the experience since you're Um, a newly born VC? I don't know what that's called. Um, So it's like a newly born vampire, right? Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean that. Um, and not in the nicest way. I know, I know. It's as all my friends say, you move to the dark side now. And, yeah, you know, you know the, all the, the Twitter jokes are now. You well, know, that's an insult anti- to the dark side. But go ahead. <laughs> so, the hope is that we are, uh, we being, I think, Andreessen and Horowitz and a bunch of other new firms are trying to change that image and okay. trying to improve the industry. I think that's hopefully a legacy um, kind of impression. So the lighter side of the dark side. We hope so. Um, so what are you trying to do to do that? What was your, what was your impetus for doing it? Why did you to want to be a VC? Or, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, okay, so, I mean, I think one of them is I do, so the, the firm, we have a different, I think, perspective on how to do VC than it was traditionally done, and I believed in that as an entrepreneur personally. So to me, there were, as an entrepreneur, there were kind of two perspectives on how to do investing. There was what I would consider the old model, which is sort of more like a hedge fund, where right. they're stock pickers, the entrepreneurs are expected to come in and ask them for money, and they sort of decide, okay, we anoint you, and we don't anoint you. Right. right. And then there was this new khakis, model. A lot of a lot of golf. A, a lot, lot of, of blue shirts and checker right. shirts. And, right. and, um, um, and the new model, which is the idea that we are service providers for the entrepreneur, and as a byproduct of that, the best entrepreneurs will let us invest in their companies, and that will give us, we hope, the best returns. Um, and so we don't think of ourselves model ourselves after like a hedge fund we model ourselves after most like kind of service organizations or mm-hmm. a law firm or a talent agency or you know whatever it might be and where our job is to service is to provide service. what do you think your most important role is is the experience you had or uh, bad or good or my, or, my personal yeah um well we so i'd say two things at the firm so one is we have this different model we have 110 people at the firm most of whom are in the operating groups meaning they're helping the company so right. so one thing is no matter who it is whether it's me or mark andries and the firm has this sort of baseline of services we provide right. my own advice I, I think my own help for entrepreneurs will be just coming through one having been there i think is very important just to have mm-hmm. having had that experience i think entrepreneurs value that um i think the second thing is just you know meeting we, we sort of i think of it as kind of breadth versus depth we spend just a lot of time meeting a lot of different people um, talking to different entrepreneurs, seeing a lot of different things, seeing sort of things that are working and things that aren't working. And as an entrepreneur, you're very, very fo- heads down. You're focused on a very narrow set of things. Um, you're focused on your products, on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to lose sight of the broader landscape. And so I just try to do that. I think that investors who kind of come in and parachute in and say, hey, you should change that. That sidebar should be purple and not right. green. That's like a really bad idea. Yeah. I think investors will come in and say, hey, I have talked to other companies in this area, and here are some of the things that are working, and here aren't. And maybe you should go talk to this person. And to sort of think about yourself as bringing in kind of breadth versus you know, I, I like very deliberately never give product feedback, for example, even if I have product feedback. I just right. don't think it's the role of an investor. I don't think it's appropriate. And I think as a board member, sometimes it can be disproportionately valued um, when it shouldn't be. Right. Um, Talk about a little bit about Andreessen Horowitz because it really you – do, mm-hmm. you do have now an image in Silicon Valley. It's yeah. very big. It's very loud. It's very like we are changing the way things are. Do you think that's changed the venture business or is it – there's a lot of jealousy towards it as a, as a firm? Um, I think it, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased. Not, not that, I'm biased. I, I think it's not that pet VCs are not petty people, yeah, but you know I what mean, I mean? I mean, I'm biased. I think it's changed. I think it's having a positive impact. I don't think it's just interest in Horowitz. I think it's also 
first round capital. It's Ron Conway. It's you know, Union Square so Ventures. There's a change. There's a, there, there's a series of firms, I think, who are coming at it. Many of them are former entrepreneurs who are bringing a new kind of approach to the to the business. Uh, y Combinator has, I think, has an incredibly yeah. positive impact. Um, there, there's a tr- there's a new level of transparency. I mean, people say we're loud. I, you know, we would argue we're transparent. Right. Well, um, you get a lot of attention. We do. Yes, we do. But we argue that it's the the negative way to spin it would be we're you know seeking attention. The positive way is we're trying to be kind of open book. Uh, we mm-hmm. believe the more that we present, the better we look because we think that underneath it all, there's actually like right reasonable. So you people. have bloggers. You have, you know, yeah, and like that we just did this thing which people. I don't know if you saw this report we just put out that was people said it was sort of us arguing against there being a, a bubble. It was actually literally just our internal report that we did for our own LPs, our investors. Mm-hmm. It was literally the same thing. It wasn't. I don't think we changed anything except maybe we had to remove a few numbers that were right. confidential. Um, it was just how we view the world, and like we think if we show, share that with the world and we think it's well thought out, you know, we could very well be wrong. Right. Um, but we we'll think- talk about that issue, the bubble, mm-hmm. and then I want to get mm-hmm. into what you think is interesting sure. right now in investing so and whether what it's invest- a bubble. Yeah. What do you, What was the argument? Give the argument. Yeah, well, the argument was a couple of things. One is people are saying one of the common charts to show is that VC investment is up very to high levels, you know, sort of approaching that of the 90s bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, what was happening now we think is very different, though, which is that there's sort of what we're doing and what our, our peers like Sequoia and others are doing, which is sort of the classic series A and B. And those actually haven't changed that much over the last 10 years. It's still kind of technologists coming in with an idea and, you know, right. we giving them some amount of money. and Well, the valuations um, are higher. They're higher, but yeah, they're higher, but they're not astronomically higher. I mean, the people are still valuation sensitive. So you still see series A's in like the 20, 30, maybe they were, maybe they've doubled or something. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the market size has gone up 10 to 100x. So you could argue that's mm-hmm. valid. Anyways, but, but it's not like, you know, it's, it's gone, it swings, but it's not like crazy. Then there's this other thing going on, which is non- VCs entering the market and right. effectively what like what Josh Koppelman calls the private IPO, which is these late stage financings, companies that historically would have IPO'd at that point. Right. Uh, maybe they're at 100 million in revenue and they, you know, I think an Uber, for yeah. example, uh, Uber for sure. And I think companies even earlier stage would have in the past. It's mm-hmm. amazing if you go back and you look at yeah, like Microsoft did. wasn't like they were like, like a lot of those companies were actually shockingly low revenue numbers by today's standards when they went public. Um, so a lot of these companies that would have gone in the past gone public are now going – and the interesting thing is they're actually going to the Fidelities and T. Rowe prices and the exact same people who actually un- typically are the first investors in the IPO. So it's actually the same investor mm-hmm. group who are doing a lot of these financing rounds. So w- the main thing we were arguing is you have to separate these. These are two different phenomenon happening. One right. is that people just don't want to go public as soon, and, and, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for if that. If at all, in many ways. Well, I think at some point they probably yeah. will want yeah. to. Um, but so that was part of it. I mean – you know, I think that my own view, I guess I will say in terms of the valuations, is you'll probably see, you know, one of the slides we had was that if you take all of the so-called unicorns, all the companies mm-hmm. valued at over a billion dollars who are private, they all add up to less than, I believe they all add up to less than the Facebook market cap. You know, another stat I love is um, in 2004, Microsoft did a $30 billion dividend mm-hmm. they announced because they didn't have anything better to do with the money. It turns out, in retrospect, they could have bought every single internet company except yeah. for Google for that amount of money, including Yelp, And including they would Facebook. have been in a better yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, and so so there's one question, which is like this basket of all the unicorns. Like, this is like, this is sort of this future of all of these interesting companies. Is that overvalued? Like, my own so view you're is, surely saying one of them will at least. Well, the, 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 way, the way the fidelities of the world are thinking, right, is if a couple of them turn out to be really, really big 
big deals, they'll do well overall in the basket, right? Right. There's a separate question whether each of these companies is, is right. worth that much. And there, there will be a lot of companies Reckoning. in that. Yes, there will be. And it's yeah. already happening to some People extent. People feel it. And it, it, it will happen. So I think there's two. There's a bunch of questions kind of conf- conflated in there. Yeah. Um, I don't I, – my own view is there certainly – we look at some companies and we're like, why is that? That valuation is high for sure. We look at other companies and think they're not high. I don't. I think the comparison. There's also a lot of shut and fried around here. You have to get to that bubble question, or who's doing too well, or who's going to fall. I well, mean, there's certainly that. There's the inside. Yeah, all of the kind of the, the inside pet, baseball. The, yeah, is much but, but I, I, to me, the comparisons to the '90s are just misguided. I think right. that also the '90s. Like you remember, I mean, it was, it was. Well, the haircuts was, alone. It was <laughs> right. haircuts alone. The, the but it was what 30, 50 million internet users yep. on dial-up. Um, you know, it's a different world, especially it, it, with mobile. So what do you find exciting right now? So yeah. you've been in a lot of things. Virtual reality, mm-hmm. for example, is something that you've done. Uh, quite, you're, you were in mm-hmm. Oculus mm-hmm. And, uh, and others. Talk about two areas I want to think. is virtual reality and Bitcoin. I sure. know they seem different, but they're yeah. sort of on a, a cutting edge of something next. And yeah. I'm, I'm a big, big, not necessarily Bitcoin, but currency, virtual currency. Yeah. Um, so, talk so, about those two uh, things. So, so stepping back, I would say my broader view is that if you look at the kind of the history of the tech, if, let's say, the last of the since the transistor, kind of fifty years of the computer science industry. There's basically these. There's there's every so often there's a new platform, right? So there's right. the PC, there's the internet, there's mobile, and what happens with each platform is there's then um, there's some companies that do very well providing the platform, like in this case is Apple and maybe Google and some others who are building Facebook, smartphone right. stuff, and then there's a whole bunch of companies that ride that wave, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, the last wave obviously was mobile, and I think that wave, if you look at it. Um, you know, it's probably there's going to be a lot of more interesting stuff happen there, but mm-hmm. it's it's now seven eight years into it. What historically has happened is that there's always emerged then a new platform, and so I think so. Part of my investment strategy, I've invested in in sort of Bitcoin, 3D printing, drones, right, virtual sold. reality. We're now doing a lot of stuff related to bio. Right. Um, we'll so talk about soil in a minute. Yeah. And so, and so my thesis has been certainly that we're sort of in search mode. We're looking for the next platform. Mm-hmm. Um, mobile will still be interesting and there'll still be a lot of stuff going on there. But, you know, I'm sort of trying to find that thing maybe a little bit ahead of other what, people. What's the and, problem, say, in virtual reality initially? I mean, Google Glass is a, ver- is a kind of those kind well, that of would be called Most people in the business call that augmented reality. Augmented so reality. augmented is when you see the real world sure. and then you see something overlaid. But and it's virtual, in that genre of yeah, wearing I mean, it's, things, it's, it's, helmets. A lot of, yeah. And then there's, there's, there's what they call mixed reality now which is some you know it's it, mixed reality what's well, that that's like it's like why have not i heard of this it's uh, it's when you do vr but you have a camera so you have a so it's more of a it, the point is you're so right that's just the annoying kids on the ski slope go ahead it, the, the big difference will be that how how immersive it is so in full vr you're just completely divorced Immersed, from the real right. world you're mm-hmm. looking you're in an alternate reality in full ar you're in the real it's more like the famous scene from terminator where you're like looking around and then like right. your glasses are like okay that's that person there and you're googling right. them and you're doing computations on the is how many calories in the food and all this mm-hmm. stuff. you know so you're augmenting what you're seeing in the real world versus the vr which is you're entering a and new you're world watching and you're watching the vr the idea well my view is that vr will happen first um not so ar is great but it's just not going to happen as soon AR depends on so to do the t- the technology to look at something in the real world and then figure out what it is and then Google it and things. It's just not a tech like it requires things like machine vision, mm-hmm. which just is not ready for prime time. If you talk to most of the technologists there, it's five years out. Whereas VR is arguably a year or two out as opposed to five to ten years out. So right. that was you know in, v- in VC you have to sort of invest on a maybe a three to five year horizon. And what do you imagine it being like? What do you what, give me a scenario of perfection for that for like, VR? Yeah. So a big thing with VR is, is I find there's a strong, there's a big difference with people who have tried the high-end VR, meaning uh, like Oculus's new consumer um, demo, mm-hmm. which not that many people have tried, unfortunately, because it's not out yet. Um, 
uh, and people that haven't. And if you've tried it, it, it really has gotten to the point where it, it is, is a fully immersive world. Like it feels the world you're in can feel as real as this room. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sitting here in this room podcasting like it feels that convincing. Yeah, there's a little bit of pixelation. You can see some dots here and there. The technology isn't perfect. Maybe there's some judder, like some things don't move right. Mm-hmm. But that will get fixed. And, you know, the, the really good VR has what's called positional tracking, which means as I move my head, for example, like mm-hmm. I see different – like that was a thing that's really shocking. And like Valve has, is coming out with their own VR. They have a demo where you can walk around the room. And when you walk around the room and, and Oculus is doing the same thing, you really get a sense that there's like – there's a microphone sitting right in front of right. me. And I can walk around the microphone and I can view it from all right. sides. Or and you're so, opening a drawer. Yeah. And so, so what can you do with that? So game, games are obvious and people are building all sorts of interesting games. Um, and that will be a, a big market. And I think people underestimate the size of that market. I mean – you know, Steam, which is Valve's PC gaming platform, is mm-hmm. I think it's 130 million, million monthly active users. People just mm-hmm. really under in the tech world underestimate that. League of Legends, which is this very nerdy game that's mm-hmm. only available for the PC and Linux, had 37 million people watch the live championship last year, which was twice as much as the NBA Finals. Like these are big, big audiences right. and very nerdy things. And, What's and, a normal case? I mean, gaming is important. I get that. The idea you could be in baseball I, I, yeah. games, you could be entertainment, you could be in the middle of a movie. Yeah, I think sport. I mean, sports and music sports. will be obvious big yeah. ones. Um, I personally you don't, be on don't stage like sports with and music but, or, or whatever. I'm not into that as much. But right. those are ones that companies like Jaunt and NextVR right. are doing this. They're going out. You and be on stage with the artists. And, and the stuff is like, like I, one demo I saw was you, you're watching a boxing match or mixed martial arts, and you can see the people there and you can literally walk around the arena and then watch it reenacted and you know mm-hmm. i'm not personally into that stuff but i imagine if you're into it it's it's pretty What's an unusual one and not porn please we, we are actually no, no, writing I, porn I think there's a lot here. of interesting health actually healthcare related things um so uh phobia treatment actually one that people have done a lot of work on vr in the academic world where um it turns out you know you're afraid of spiders you're afraid of heights and that you can very effectively treat this in vr because to your brain what's interesting about vr is it tricks you not just at your kind of conscious level if it's really good. It tricks you kind of lower level at your lizard brain level. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a uh, experiment that they ran at Valve where you're standing in front of a cliff, and even if you've done the thing a hundred times, it's not a real cliff; it's a virtual cliff. Mm-hmm. Even if you've done it a hundred times and you know absolutely know it's not a real cliff, you try to jump and your legs buckle. Right, wow. like your legs, like deep down, you're kind of like low level lizard systems, whatever right. they are. Say no, 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 that's real. Right, like no matter what your conscious so brain says. So if you says, die in virtual reality, do you die in real it, life? It, it's, it's. I mean, it, it is like possible. You could have, you could have a I mean, serious health effects. So, yeah. but the flip side is like things, for example, for substance abuse, like where they train your brain to associate right. alcohol with feeling like crap and non-alcohol to feel good, and all, right. all sorts of interesting things because it has. It's just it's a new technology that has a very powerful emotional component. Right. There, there's an interesting um, filmmaker that we actually made a small seed investment in. This guy named Chris Milk, who uh, he just gave a really great TED Talk. I'd encourage people to Google it and watch it. Uh, he has a company called Verse. Uh, he actually just went and did this thing where he, he filmed a VR film. He did it one for Vice. It was a, a protest mm-hmm. march in New York City. Another one, he went to a Syrian, so you feel like you're in a Syrian refugee right. camp. Yeah, and he calls it the empathy machine VR. And he, he has a great phrase. He says, in, you know, with, with traditional screens, we said we had to suspend disbelief. With right. VR, you have to suspend belief. I like see. You, Interesting. You, you, by default, I feel like you're standing there. Right. And if you, like, say something to me emotional, I have this emotional reaction that a human normally has when you're standing in front right. of a person, which is a different reaction than when you're looking at a screen. Right. So I'm going to move from VR, yeah, VR sure. to just very quickly two things. You have investments in Soylent, uh-huh. Bitcoin, BuzzFeed. 
Yep. Which we have a very short amount of time, mm-hmm. so I want to like which one, which area do you? You're, those are very different. So yeah. Soylent, very briefly. They're all the they're all the common thread is they're all the future. They're all the future. Okay, <laughs> all right. So Soylent, very highly briefly. Biased Soylent is a yeah. is a is a meal replacement system. It's not. Yeah, I wouldn't call. It, I mean, it's it's called a replacement. I think it's. So Soylent is, is one of my favorite companies. It's, I think it's very misunderstood. It's a truly mission-driven team who believes that they are – they believe that, that there has been this trade-off that we've had to make between uh, – in food, between cost, how much it costs, how convenient it is, and how nutritious it is. And they believe that through science, we can, we can, we can no longer have to make that trade-off. And they, the dream of Soylent is the far-off dream is that – this is what Rob Reinhart, the founder, will say, is that someday there's like – it's like flour. You just have – everyone has Soylent in their cupboard. It's mm-hmm. virtually free. Um, and nutrition is just not an issue. Like, you just get nutrition. You put it in things. Nutrition is just covered. So everyone has nutrition covered. That's not an issue anymore. If you want to, like, you know, go and have break bread and have a big, you know, pasta dinner and do whatever, great. Like, you know, the, the narrative has been sort of Soylent is anti that. Soylent is very mm-hmm. pro that. It just – the goal is to make – and we believe, like, right now we're already getting it to the point where – it's probably going to, you know, it'll be about $10 to feed a person a day with the current Soylent, and we think we can get it down way more. Actually, most of that is, unfortunately, right. shipping and packaging. And all these food tech things. I mean, there's quite a bit of them, fake meat and things like that. Yeah, there's uh, Hampton Creek Foods doing eggs. There's a bit uh, of uh, religion about it. It's kind of an... Well, I mean, the th- the, like, if you look at these problems like the drought in California, mm-hmm. you know, people, like, kind of demonize almonds and things like this. <laughs> um, and you know, and I never lawns, and, uh, and and these other things. The reality is that that the agricultural industry takes the vast majority of the fresh water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredibly inefficient. Meat, in particular, is incredibly inefficient because right. you're you know you're feeding the corn with you're right. p- pouring water on the corn. You're feeding right. the corn to a chicken. You're getting the egg from the chicken, <laughs> and then meanwhile, Hampton Creek, just like for example, we're not investors, but I think it's a great company. They just skip all of that. They actually, it's not fake. It's actually just vegetables. Yeah. They just found the right combination of vegetables right. using software and quote big data. Um, that just tastes and has the same nutritional properties. So big area food, food tech, and it's just a big area. I mean, it's you know if you just look at people's budgets and you know, well, you know one sort of from a VC point of view way to think of it is what everyone people, has to eat. Well, what do people spend money on every month, right? right. I mean, think about what's happening. You know, you know Uber and Lyft and these things and transportation, Airbnb and housing. You know, right. food is an obvious one. Finance, healthcare. I mean, eventually, just what's happening in tech, I think, is just going kind of where the money so is. Talk right? about um, we'll get, we'll mm-hmm. we'll end on Buzz, Bitcoin, but uh, mm-hmm. Buzzfeed. Why did you make that? That was a big investment. How much did you put uh, in? Fifty million. That's um, a lot of money. So I, yeah, I had it is I I had known Jonah Preddy uh, from mm-hmm. before. I was actually an investor before personally from way back. I'd mm-hmm. known him from kind of the New York tech uh, world. I think incredibly highly of him. I think he's brilliant. Um, and he's just one of the best entrepreneurs. And I remember him in 2007 when I first invested. I invested because I thought he was great, but I thought he was crazy. He said, someday people are going to be reading news on f- mobile phones through social networks. And I was like, that, ha-ha, that's, that's ridiculous, yeah. but Jonah, you're really smart, so let me invest. Um, he turned out to be totally right, and he's just a real visionary. So for me, it's just, he's just such a brilliant guy. He's also just done, you know, the company's done really, really well. Um, it's not only has, has it done well in terms of traffic and just kind of cultural influence, but he's actually built a really strong business. And so, Based on advertising and mm-hmm. – yeah, it's. Do um, you, are you worried about content, uh, content and journalism going forward? No, I, I think it's a great time for the, this stuff. I think it's um, – I think this, all of these companies, including your parent company, I guess now Vox, Vox. Are, are dramatically undervalued. 
I think oh, um, that's nice. I, I think it's I think it's going to look like so, the way social networks were all ridiculed ten years ago mm-hmm. as things that can't make money. I just I love the things where where like you walk around the streets and all people are doing is staring at their phones, reading probably mm-hmm. things like Vox and BuzzFeed, right? Right. And then all of the kind of serious people tell you, oh, there's no way they'll ever make money. Like those right. are generally when those you, the when you see you the, like. the gap between those two things. Well, yeah, because there's something because like news has become well the couple two two main things. One is there's now two billion people with internet connected smartphones going mm-hmm. to three or four soon. Market is dramatically bigger than it used to be. How much? How many people could you have reached before? Absolutely. You know, if you were, you know, the Recode Washington or Vox, yeah. yeah, whatever. And number one, so just dramatically bigger market. And I would argue dramatically more engaged market. People are reading news now throughout the day. They're engaging with it. They're talking about with their friends. Like it's much more important. I mean, Facebook is essentially an RSS reader at this point, right? So is Twitter, <laughs> right? I mean, it is. It's just like it's if you look at like if you put ninety percent of. I mean, RSS one. It just we call it Facebook and Twitter, right? Right. Um, and that's what people do is they go and they read the news and they and they use the news as a springboard to go. And that was one mm-hmm. of the brilliant things that Jonah and then did. Talk about it. To talk yeah. about it, right? Like they, you know, one of Jonah's favorite examples is if you write an article about the price of oil, you get no comments. If you write about the price of gas, everyone's like, oh yeah, gas costs so much money. Right, because gas is relevant to them, and they want to chat about it. And so, a lot of it is, you know, it's the new coffee house, right? It's the new third place. Like, I think people will look at it as there was this, you know, it used to be that that we had, you know, you know, the third place, this bowling alone concept, which is Mm -hmm. this idea that there used to always be, you know, there was the work, and there was the home, and then there was the bar, the church, or the club, and we kind of lost that. You know, then in the fifties and sixties, people moved away from their hometown; they went to the cities. You had fractured, you know, families. I, you know, and then people sort of saying, you know, now we've lost it. I think we've regained it now that, that these are the that the social networks are and the, and the media world are the new. What coffee happens houses. to the old newspapers then? The New York Times is of the world. And- I think they'll. St- I mean, the New York Times has done well with their paywall. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm I'm a big fan. I think they provide an important service. I don't think they'll be Buzz nearly as will many. Buy it someday. I, I don't know. Um, I think I, I think this New York Times, the FT, the Journal, Washington Post will be around. I think FT. yeah. I think the. The million others probably, you know, once you lose right. geographic monopolies, like it's not as, you probably don't need nearly as many. I think there will always be an important role for, um, you know, for serious Top investigative journalism. Yeah. And those are phenomenal publications, and I hope they continue to do well. Okay, two more questions, uh, and then we'll finish up. Um, Bitcoin, and also the, the last question I want to ask you is what you think, what is overhyped and underhyped? What do you look at and you go, yeah. or something you just would want to have, space or... Invisibility cloak, okay. a time machine. I don't know. So okay, so Bitcoin. Bitcoin first. Um, so yeah, we're investors in Coinbase. Um, uh, you know, I think Bitcoin is one of the. Um, I, I think it's one. It's a breakthrough in computer science. It's a new way to do kind of distributed systems. You hear a lot of people talking about blockchain now. You hear banks mm-hmm. talking about this. A new way to basically build uh, databases in a way that no single person or, or entity controls them. So they're sort of community-owned databases, right. which we never had on the internet before. You know, we had community-owned um, sort of things like Wikipedia, but they were these kind of, you know, nonprofits, and they always have to ask for more money and things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really an important new architectural concept, which is you can have these community-owned databases and you can do things. And there's all sorts of interesting entrepreneurial energy of people coming out with mm-hmm. – of ideas of things to, uh, to to do with blockchain technology and Bitcoin, of course, being one of the great ones, which is a new way to let you store and transfer money. Which you know, I I, I think there's a, there's a long, long. This is probably a, a, its own topic. I would right. go on for an hour, but but I think you know, essentially, can you know, as an example, two billion people now have internet connected smartphones. As we said, the vast majority of those people don't have bank accounts. They don't. They're not part of the of the financial system. We need to figure out some way to get them. Maybe they'll all go, and maybe it'll be M-Pesa, or maybe it'll be, right. um, you know, uh, cellular networks will provide them with accounts. But somehow, like, those people should be included in the economic system. They should be able to do whatever it might be, programming, graphic design, you know, mechanical turf, like, finances. entrepreneurship. 
borrow money, like do all sorts of things, and we need ways to do that. Right. Um, and so, and that's one of the. It's I amazing, think, really you know, a lot of the arguments around the Greek debt, and you were talking about the drachma still, mm-hmm. and it's kind of strange when you think about, like, you're talking about euros drachma when, in fact, currency is probably the thing that needs to be disrupted most of it, all. It, it does feel very archaic to yeah. people that are used to It's like a bag of coins. It's just, it's a very strange thing. All right, finally, um, what, do you, what do you think is overhyped and underhyped? Uh, overhyped? What do you I, think needs more attention? I think needs more attention is, um, we believe, I, one thing I'm working a lot on now is uh, biology and healthcare. I think that these, these are obviously incredibly important issues, you know, extending human life, sort of curing disease, et cetera. livers, that kind of thing? Uh, and curing cancer, for example. Right. And I think a lot of these things, um, what's happened with a lot of these things is they are at this point that looks a lot like the Internet was maybe 10 or 15 years ago where things like AWS came along where um, basically instead of having to spend 10 to $20 million just to get started to build a website, you could now have three people in a garage and outsource all this infrastructure. And the same thing is happening now if you go and, and, and to look at biology. We see mm-hmm. this every day. We see entrepreneurs come in. They, have, they often have, like, PhDs in genetics. So genetics, take, take genetic testing as an example. This cost, you know, 15 years ago, it was the Human Genome Project. cost billions. Now it costs about, I think it's, it's under $1,000 to get your gene sequence. It will very soon be under $100. It will very soon be zero. So it, it's, like, effectively free. And what that means is you have these really interesting things, like, for example, uh, with cancer treatments, there are hundreds of effective cancer treatments. The hard thing is knowing which treatment to use for which cancer. It turns out that all of the kind of hardware side, quote unquote, of testing the genes, right. testing the tumor, is all very inexpensive now, and it becomes a software problem. So more and more, what's happening is kind of quote software e- is eating biology, and the software so is becoming the well, critical issue. Well, doesn't Mark issue. say software is eating everything? So software is eating the world, but particularly yeah. biology. I think I, I believe now is a time when when you'll start to see the same kind of rapid innovation and entrepreneurship that we saw on the internet 10 years ago we'll so start is, to see applied is to silicon valley growing up do you think because those are serious issues you know i have my my little mantra that yeah. silicon valley big minds chasing small ideas every day i think there's some of that I, I i would argue some of it is just there are big ideas that don't get as much press coverage right. personally i think like a lot of you know um because just yes, ten, it's tends the media's to be a, fault Chris. well there tends to be a focus Come on, on there's like 90 photo apps being funded every that's minute. true that's true but the, well but 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 in fairness the consumer apps are just more accessible. I thought it was interesting this attention. week. Yuri Milliner funds something that's really interesting, and people were making a lot of fun of it. And I didn't think Which one was uh, it? the alien, the, the, the search for life. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. What if he's, you know, he's going to be right, and then we're all going to have to like. I, like, I mean, but just in fairness, like half, I think it's seventy percent of VC investment has been enterprise focused for the yeah. last twenty years, yeah. and it just doesn't get as much attention. No, like, that's so true. like data 100%. centers, you know, all 100%. that kind of stuff. Um, we've done. I think over ten healthcare investments in the last two years. Right. They just, for whatever reason, they're not as. I think they're complicated. They don't get as much. You know, You've got to create a fake person that talks to me. I guess. I guess. I guess, I guess we need reporter. to make it. We need do need to make it more accessible. Yeah, and we will absolutely. be talking about it more because and I think it's just something which is important. But for whatever reason, because look, the, the fact is, photo apps people can relate to them. You can download yeah. it. You can try it. Everyone's got an opinion on it. This other stuff is kind of it's well, more complicated. Tend it's more light, don't yeah. They? So, but I do think you're, I think there's a I think we would like to see more um, investment and innovation around kind of these, what do you want to call them, mature topics. Right. Um, I agree with that, and yeah. I think we should do more of that, and we're trying to do more of that. And so. overhyped, something that you'd like to, to go away? I just, I think like a lot of the, I think Uber's a phenomenal company, Lyft's phenomenal, a few of these are, but then the on-demand stuff, I just think has gotten overdone personally. So too much sharing economy? And just delivery and this and that. I don't know. For me, that's just, I, I kind of, you know, and there's 18 that have different kinds of food they'll bring you. and It's just replacing the milkman. It's, it's an old as, idea. As, what startup Jackson said is San Francisco is becoming an assisted uh, living community for the young. Because <laughs> so, so they need a lot of help. I feel like it's a little bit of this as zero, zeroth world problems, as my friend calls them. You, you know, know like when I these. chastised that twice on the air and yeah. Mark did something about it yesterday, they didn't clean up the park. Uh-huh. I, was, I thought they'd hire someone to clean up the park for them. 
or Did something they, like I, that, I like, know, a, like a task it. rabbit. Okay. No. They made a mess of a park yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then went back and actually cleaned it. It was fascinating. Uh, okay. But you're right, the on-demand, that's really interesting. I just think, I, I think a lot of these are, some of the criticism is correct that we're solving problems for wealthy San Franciscans as opposed to yeah. the rest of the world. And so I think some of that's Adult true. Adult children. Yeah, I think, look, some of these are yeah. world-changing ideas. But like everything in Silicon Valley, it gets overdone, yep. right? <laughs> There's yep. too much. It's like a good idea and a couple of them are great. But there didn't need to be 500 of them. Right. Like, right? But that's also what's great about the Valley is that yeah. there's lots of experiments and Exuberance. things. Exuberance. Yes. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much. It was really fascinating. Thank you. And next week in the Red Chair, we talk to the founders of Lyft, which I also call Not Uber. Thanks for listening to Recode Decode. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. Also check out our other podcast, Recode Replay, an audio archive of interviews from our Recode events, including this year's Code Conference, where we spoke with Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, GoPro founder Nick Woodman, and Senator Elizabeth Warren. As always, you can find all of our podcasts and editorial coverage at Recode.net, and you could follow us on Twitter at Recode. Navigating tech is hard. Music services, refrigerators, TV, a lot of things are changing, and it's not your fault that you can't keep up with it. In Too Embarrassed to Ask, Recode's Lauren Good and Walt Mossberg cover all the different bases of your digital life. Here's Walt now to answer some questions about Microsoft's new Windows 10 operating system, which comes out this week. Welcome, Walt. Hey, Kara. How you doing? I'm great. I'm so great. you've been testing Windows 10. I, you know, it's incredible that it's the 10th one, but tell me a little bit about it first, and then we'll get to the questions from readers. Well, first of all, it's not the 10th one. They've skipped various numbers, including Windows 9, by the way. Um, but um, I would say it's a version of Windows that's going to make people who like Windows much happier than they were with Windows 8. It's hard for me to see that it's going to really cause uh, a great boost in PC sales, which, as you know, have been Declining. flat or down. Um, but uh, time will tell on that. Why are they making it? Why do they keep doing these versions and making such a big deal of them? It sort of seems like an old paradigm. Well, two things. First of all, they they had to make this one because the last one was essentially a dud. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was the second dud of three. Um, their answer on you know doing these big versions is this is going to be constantly updated according to them. They see this as a service. They're giving it away free and um, to most people. And um, so uh, – you know, this is a cash cow for them. They don't have a mobile platform that anyone uses. Uh, they they're 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 basically Office and Windows still. So they and have to do. So this. they have to what do. What was it. the dud thing about it? And again, just Windows eight. Yeah. What was the um, dud? because it had two completely different user interfaces and input methods built into the same uh, operating system. There was a tablet one, tablet looking one. Uh, and then there was the regular desktop one, and people were very confused. And developers did not build apps for the tablet one, just like they haven't built apps for the Windows phones. Right, right, and which is a problem for for Microsoft. Which they are hoping to solve with this version um, for because they've architected it so that if you make an app for a PC, it can also run uh, in a scaled-down form on their phones. And so they're hoping that will get people to write apps that can right. run on their phones and their phones will have a renaissance. I'm very skeptical. And how many people use it? As dud as it would be, there's there's a huge, huge audience for this, right? <clears throat> well, phones now outsell computers, uh, but there are hundreds of millions uh, 
of computers sold every year. I think the number is a few hundred million. So it's a business. And um, of the install base, which is in the billions of PCs, uh, Windows 8 is not very high. I don't have the exact numbers. The so they're hoping most for popular Windows one is Windows 7, which is much more standard looking. Right. And that's the look they're going back to with this. So back to the future. All right. First question is from at Agent09. That's quite a name. Do you think the Windows 10 app ecosystem will be just as empty as the Windows 8 ecosystem and why? Um, I think there's a good chance that it won't get very much richer. I think it, you know, if this thing does better than Windows 8, which is a low bar, so I suspect it will, um, they may be able to convince some developers to write apps. And we're talking about tablet-looking, full-screen, very modern apps. We're not talking about the standard Windows apps that run on the desktop. That's what the questioner is asking about the the the, the app ecosystem. And um, you know, I think they'll probably they'll probably improve it. It's because it's basically dead right now. Mm-hmm. And, so any improvement uh, on dead? But I, dead I don't on. think it's going to be a giant, massive turnaround. Okay. No, I don't. Okay, so any improvement on dead? Correct. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Well, that's a business uh, I want to get into. Uh, at 636 underscore OC, can it stream and play Xbox games? Yes, My it can. Kids will want to know this. It's It can. You need an Xbox, well, I think an Xbox One, actually, and you need um, a pretty hefty PC, uh, They which they, all, they explain in detail on their various websites. But yes, the answer is it can, and that's a new capability. It's one of the handful of big new capabilities they have in here. So for the gamer community, that might uh, that might be a big plus. Okay, at Milik, is it really free or is there a catch? It is really free. I wouldn't call it a catch, but there are some conditions. I don't think they're onerous. You have to have Windows 7 or Windows 8, the latest versions of those, um, in order to upgrade to this for free. You have to do it also within the first year that it's available in order to get it for free. Uh, and, but but those are basically it in terms of the catch. Okay. At Wolf on Tech, as a longtime OS X user, that's Apple, what is in Windows 10 to attract me to switch? I think there, um, there are three things in here which are not on the Mac, which... Uh, some Mac owners may want and may like. Uh, one is they have built Cortana, which is their version of Siri, mm-hmm. uh, into the computer. Apple is yet to put Siri on the Mac. They do not so, have it. So um, if you like that, if you like uh, you know, that kind of um, assistant, artificial assistant, you can get it on here. Secondly, touchscreens. Uh, the Mac doesn't have touchscreens if you're right. a touchscreen fan. Why don't they, Walt? What's the deal? They don't believe in it. They, they don't, don't believe, believe in it. What's like right. a religion? What I believe in it? What they believe in? The <laughs> Apple has a lot of religion. Yeah, Kara, you know that. I know, um, but they, they don't have it on believe the it, and they have all these gestures on their touchpads, yeah. and they think that does it. Um, and then the third thing I would say is a lot of these Windows machines, and this, by the way, this has not taken off so far, but maybe it will with Windows 10. 
a lot of these Windows machines are what are what you would call two-in-ones. You can uh, turn them into a kind of heavy tablet if you want, or you can right. some in some cases pull the screen off, and and that's a tablet. Can't do that on Apple. Nope. And so uh, those would be the three things that I think might tempt Mac owners. Yeah, that screen. That's cool. A couple of people have told me they'd really like that, and they want something right. like that. And maybe the iPad Pro when it comes out will solve those problems, but. That's right. Um, any case, at Logan the First, does it still get viruses? Uh, it's too early to know. Uh, I mean, I, what's your I've gas had, Mossberg? I've had mine like a week. I don't know, but um, I will say that the the world of bad guys who do malware is still, uh, you know, infinitely more focused on Windows than it is on Macs, and so um, I'm sure Microsoft has put in more defenses as they have been doing for years. But um, one of the advantages of buying a Mac is that the bad guys aren't particularly focused on it. Right. At Bilal Belagam, why are control panel and settings still separate things despite the merger, their merger being widely requested? Um, I'm, I don't know. I think it's, um, com- it's, it's confusing. They have cut a bunch of the confusion that was in Windows 8 out of this, but they have not cut all of it out of it. There are... For instance, they have a new browser that they're very proud of in here called Edge. And yet Internet Explorer, which is kind of old and, you know, lots of people have stopped using, is still in here. Um, there's there's still a lot of, uh, the, you know, there's an app you may remember from your days in, with Windows called Paint, which I don't God remember knows, my days must with go Windows, back I'll be honest 20, with you. 20 years. It's still on here. Hmm. And so settings and control panel. The settings is a modern-looking kind of thing for doing your settings. And then the old-fashioned control panel is still there. It's like memories. Um, At UHD Rob, does the real start menu return to Windows 10? How does it compare to Windows 7? It really is a real start menu, and it does return in Windows 10. And it has... I think pretty much everything the start menu had in the old days, plus the tablety start screen that was not popular in Windows 8, has been added to the start menu in a kind of shrunken form. And um, I think it actually looks and works pretty well. So do you like it? Well, that's the, that's the range of questions. I'm curious, would you like it? Or how have you been enjoying the testing of it? I've, had, uh, I've run into bugs and I've run into some frustrations. I think it's, um, like I say, I'll just repeat what I said. I, 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 it's not enough to make me, I'm a heavy Mac user, it's not enough to make me switch back to Windows. But if I were a Windows user um, and I had been uh, on Windows 8 or I had not gone to Windows 8 because of the bad reputation it had, I would be pretty happy about this, provided they get this all stabilized and non-buggy by the release date, which is next week. And what's the cost of it? It's free. It's free. Um, An upgrade. They, it's free if you're upgrading. From 7. Um, you, obviously, you can buy it on all new PCs, and that is that depends on the cost of the PC. They will be selling it for about 120 bucks for the home edition. Right. So a lot of what you're talking about a little bit sounds like table stakes for Microsoft. Are they doing enough, like, jumping innovation that will excite its user base? Or where do they really need to improve if they're really focusing on the Windows? There's, you know, there's still the big phone problem. Well, I think they're big. Um, they're, they do have some innovations here. Um, some computers 
which have special cameras and iris scanners built in, will be able to recognize you when you log in by, you know, recognizing your face or your iris. Um, I couldn't test that because the computer they sent me to test didn't have those things on it. So that's innovation. Um, and they have a thing called Continuum where, as I pointed out before, you can take the screen out of some of these computers or turn them into tablets uh, and it goes into a sort of tablet mode. Um, Microsoft uh, considers that uh, innovation, and I guess it is in a way. But no, there's there's nothing – it's not like holograms are jumping right. out of the screen, That Kara. would be nice. Why not? Uh, well, um, because they're not listening to you personally. <laughs> Clearly. That's what it um, is. But it, it, so I'm trying to get at this idea of is the Windows era over? I mean Windows has been with us for so long, and obviously there's millions of these computers. But things seem shifted rather quickly from – this paradigm, where Windows was the yeah, everything is look, everything is moved to mobile, and they're terribly weak in mobile, and they're hoping that they'll get very large numbers of people upgraded to this because, as I said earlier, they have unified the app structure, and if somebody writes a cool app for the PC, which has a large install base, they can maybe they can it will also run on their phones, which have a tiny install base. Um, that's their move, to, their latest move to try to bolster their mobile business. But I will say this. Um, you use your phone all the time. Mm -hmm. You and I have known each other forever, wow. and we've been together for more hours than I think probably <laughs> was good for either of us. But, uh, well, you know, you're on your phone all the time, and so am I, and yet you still carry around a laptop. People do use, still use computers. They still mm -hmm. do use laptops. And um, so, and Microsoft has the dominant uh, PC operating system. So, um, yeah, the Windows era in a way is over because everything has moved to mobile and they're kind of absent from it. But they're hoping that a form of Windows that runs on mobile will come to pass and, and, and that they will get a significant, uh, a, a significant user base there. Fantastic. Mossberg, as always. Thanks very much. It's fantastic to be here. It's fantastic to have you. And you're going to be in San Francisco soon. So we'll be talking I in am. person. And you'll be in the red chair here. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Walt. See you, Kara. Now we're moving on to the part of the show where we say a lot of things in Enough Sad, where we talk about the issues of the week, especially controversial ones. And this week I was horrified and scared over a story about cars being taken over and hacked, actual cars, and the controls of them being hacked. There's been a lot of digital put into cars of late, uh, including entertainment systems and things like that. And this, this was scary because it was actually the control of the car. And someone showed proof of concept to take over a car. And we have Ina Fried here who writes about these issues and is actually has an upcoming conference, um, Code Mobile, where car issues are going to be a big topic there. So, Ina, explain, first of all, what happened. So as a lot of you know, like the technology that goes in your phone, that, that wireless modem, all that stuff, the entertainment, the maps, all that is moving into the cars. And essentially what car makers have done is they've put the brains of a smartphone inside the car. One of the big promises that the car makers have insisted on and thought they delivered was that all that entertainment, all that navigation, all that connectivity would be separate from the control of the car so that exactly what happened wouldn't happen, and now, in fact, it has. Which is like the nightmare scenario, correct? It really is, and the car makers have been criticized for moving incredibly slowly, and one of the reasons they've moved slowly is because they've said, we absolutely have to have this firewall between 
all this connectivity, all this entertainment, and the control of the car. And even moving that slowly, even having this firewall, they didn't. Right. So, I mean, here's the thing. Cars have always been had a lot of electronics in cars, but they've moved slowly into the idea that we, you know, the car, I think the joke was the car is the first mobile device. Um, but mobile mobility and people being on the go and wanting to have this stuff in their car has been really important to the selling points of these cars. It has. Increasingly, when people go to buy a car, they want the latest and greatest. They wish it was as good as their phone. Typically, the mapping system, the navigation, the entertainment, it's kind of like your smartphone, but not really as good. That gap has been narrowing, and you have all the GM cars now have a smartphone built in with LTE, have you know basically the guts of a smartphone in there. Um, but you know the car makers have really tried to say we don't want to move too fast. You know we want to make sure that we can keep the car safe first and foremost. And at least in this one instance with Chrysler Jeep, that didn't happen. So how much should this scare us? Because you know here we are moving into the era of the self-driving car. Google's got them running all over Mountain View. Um, you know people taking over these cars and crashing them or taking you somewhere you don't want to go. I mean it's just sort of the, the nightmare scenario of this is you don't have control of yourself in a in a moving vehicle. I mean, I think this will be a good wake-up call for the industry that, you know, this is something. This isn't just the automakers crying wolf here. This is something to be taken seriously. And clearly the stakes are higher. You know, when we talk about a virus on our computer or our phone, the worst thing they do is wipe out our data, which is bad. Or they steal our data, which is worse, but still manageable. I mean, when you're talking about a car, it's it's your life. And, I you know, I think uh, this is the kind of story that hits home. I mean, everyone... Everyone cares about this. Right. I mean, because, you know, they get in trouble when they don't get the tires right. They don't have – they have all kinds of other mechanical issues. But this is where cars are going, correct? This is the – this is this idea of self-driving car, automated cars, things where you have less and less control of the steering wheel and the gas and everything else. It is. And the the idea is that this is all for good. This will reduce – you know, human error, it will reduce things. But that assumes that the only person controlling the car is good. And, you know, in this case, it shows, you know, what if what if someone is ill-intentioned? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're going to have two problems. One are, what are the shortcomings, the actual built-in deficits of self-driving cars? Where are they themselves not perfect? But then also, what about malicious people and, and, and this give me really that. briefly what what did they do what did they actually do to take it over so they didn't like take over steering and stuff but what they did show is they could change the radio they could change what's displayed on the navigation system but they could also do things like roll down the windows and that doesn't sound like a lot but when you start really monkeying around you can do a lot and then they showed how they could actually affect the transmission so they couldn't do it at full speed but at slow speed they could actually interrupt the driving of the car wow which is because they could shut it down while you're driving it like up and down the windows things my kid does all the time and he's annoying enough i don't want some hacker doing it at the same yeah, time you know the the hackers you bring in that are related to you and in the back seat is something i think we've all become accustomed to right uh, but we don't expect the remote hackers right right exactly and so they could eventually take over the in these in these scenarios when these are digital cars and they're transmitting all kinds of radar and because if you look at any of these digital cars, they've got all this stuff on them. They've got radars. They've got uh, all kinds of things on them. Yeah, sensors. I mean, I do think in some ways it's good that this happened early on in the process because I think it will cause everyone to go back and, and sort of double down on, you know, really making sure that what needs to be kept separate is kept separate. So I think, you know, rather than having a theoretical problem, having a real one to point to could be good for the industry to at least say, here's what we've got to work on from where we are. Great. Hina, thanks so much. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. This is Kara Swisher. We'll be bringing you a new episode every week. Next week, we'll be talking with the founders of Lyft, which I call not Uber. 
And they will be talking about Uber as well as where everything is going in the car sharing environment. Thanks a lot. Come back soon. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, Uber founder Travis Kalanick, reality star Kim Kardashian, Shark Tank host Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and more. They're all on Recode Replay. Thanks for tuning in.